This is the New Zealand Young Professionals Podcast, brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Now please welcome your host, Ed McKnight. Hello and welcome along to the New Zealand Young Professionals Podcast. I am your host, Ed McKnight, and I'm here in the studio today with Elliot Jessup. Elliot, how are you? Yeah, good, mate. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, no trouble at all. And Elliot's a really interesting guy because we actually connected, it must have been late last year, when he was starting uh, his business, which has now launched uh, costumeworld.co.nz. Uh, and, and I was just struck by how entrepreneurial this guy is. He's about, we were just discussing offline that he's uh, 22 years old, but he has a wealth of uh, uh, business experience that that pretty much belies his age, and so we, within this episode, we're going to dig into uh, his business, his story. Um, we're going to have a couple of ideas and throw around some ideas about what could happen for um, potential businesses that you could start, or we could start, or anybody could start, really. Uh, and then we're going to dig into Elliot's takeaways for young entrepreneurs, but. We just want to start, first of all, with talking about why we're doing this and why we've got this episode. And uh, the thing we talked about earlier offline was that. So often we hear uh, business advice from very established business leaders. You know, they might have uh, had a lot of business business success 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and that might not be as relevant now as it was back then. And often um, they might have been down this path of business success, but looking back, you know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. but what they're, they're seeing and what they're recounting might not have actually been uh, what they actually went through or what made them successful. So we're doing a little series where we're interviewing uh, young business influencers who are just starting out at their journey, who are at step two or step three, so that you can see what their first steps were and replicate them yourselves. How does that sound, Elliot? Yeah, sounds pretty, pretty great. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the endorsement. Good work. But just dub, uh, starting to jump into um, your backstory. How did it all start? Yeah, for sure. So I guess um, business for me was a complete accident. Um, I've never been very good at having jobs. Um, I tried them, didn't work. Um, but if we kind of look at my my first kind of how I got into I'm in e-commerce. Um, and that all just really started on accident, really. I found a product which I couldn't get in New Zealand. And I'd read a little bit about, you know, this whole importing and selling on Trade Me sort of thing. And I was like, oh, you know, this sounds, sounds a bit cool. And um, it was, yeah, it was a genuine kind of, I bought in some products and just thought, look, I really want this particular product. Maybe someone else does too. So I bought 10 into the country. What was it? Uh, it was a game. I'm not, I'm not going to say what the game is. Um, we had a little licensing hiccup with that in the end. Um, but, you know, that was a learning curve. But we bought, we bought this game and started selling it on Trade Me, and they sold out in the first couple of days. And I was like, well, this is cool. And then, you know, six months later, I was bringing in games and toys and accessories and selling them on Trade Me, and I realized, you know, I was making, I was making a living out of this. I, I didn't have to have a job. I was running it out of my flat. Uh, it's taking me an hour or two a day to send packages out and and I could do what I wanted for the rest of my time and then I started yeah learning more and more about online stuff and then started working consultancy kind of work with a few brands with online marketing and e-commerce and yeah that was about f- almost five years ago um when yeah I, I was I'd actually just been kicked out of school <laughs> um which is yeah a whole another but I left I left quite a prestigious um, private school that I had a full scholarship to. Um, we had a mutual agreement with the principal that I should probably leave. Um, we were on great terms. <laughs> um, and yeah, we've now kind of grown into quite a quite a large e-commerce company, which is, yeah, it's pretty fun. 
And you started out just just on Trade Me. Look, is that still a channel people can use today to start? Oh, most definitely. Trade Me still accounts for about forty percent of our sales overall. Um, Kiwis are still using Trade Me for a lot of stuff, um, and yeah, it's, it's a it's a great place. And especially like with selling games and costumes and things like that, people are learning that you know these particular games. They ask their friends, "Oh, you know, where to get the game from?" Well, I got it from Trade Me, and then word of mouth just spreads. And it's a hard one because you can't really grow your brand through Trade Me. So it was a big process for us to kind of these customers who have bought from us to then recontact them all and say, look, we're actually a brand. We exist. If you want anything else, come through our website. Here's our Facebook page. And, you know, we were one of the only Trade Me sellers that were using email marketing. Um, you know, we're taking all the Trade Me sales data and then remarketing to them with other products. And for the first couple of years, we didn't even have our own website for games. We just, we sent, we were running ads and sending people to a Trade Me listing. Oh, wow. And so the way you're doing that email marketing, because I didn't realize you could export the emails you get through Trade Is it that you just as the sales are coming through, you're copying and pasting the email addresses into another list? Yeah, we just we just exported them as a CSV or the sales data, um, sent everyone a, you know, an opt-in email to saying, look, you've actually bought from, you know, a brand called Game Kings. Would, would you like to be part of our little community? Here's our Facebook page. If you'd like to sign up for our email letter, um, you know, we're always releasing new games. Um, yeah, that's how that one went, went ahead. What was the conversion rate like from people opting in? Just out of interest, because I'm a little bit of a, an e-commerce nerd. Yeah, for sure. We were getting about anywhere between kind of 18 to 25% of people legitimately opt in that's to, bad. to find out about new games, which was we were really happy with that. Um, we were still using all that email data as well to do Facebook ads as well, um, because you know the game would come out and then we get expansion packs, so... Yeah, and, and just for everybody at home, because I realise uh, not, not everybody listening is going to be as much of an e-commerce nerd as 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 me, or certainly you're you're much more than than, <laughs> than I am. Um, but but what happens with Facebook is that if you've got a list of email addresses, you can upload that to Facebook as what's called a custom audience, and then if the email address you've uploaded matches the email address of um, the profile that somebody's used to to sign up, then you can serve ads to that email address yeah that's that basically how it works that's it it's such a powerful tool um facebook advertising especially the way that it integrates with websites now obviously i'm sure most people have had the experience of browsing a website looking at a t-shirt or or a pair of shoes and then being on being on facebook later on that afternoon and all you're seeing is ads for those shoes and that t-shirt um and that's just yeah that's that's the internet. <laughs> we can follow you around everywhere now, advertising what you were looking at. Mm-hmm. Which, which is kind of scary because that's called um, the Facebook pixel, right? Yeah, the Facebook remarketing pixel. Um, and the data it collects is just amazing. But what we can then do is, you know, we can do some really cool stuff. Like we can say, all right, well, we've got data of a thousand people who have looked at this particular product. And we know that, you know, let's say 150 of them have, have purchased that product. We've now got an expansion to that product. So let's remarket to them with that expansion. Or what we can do is we can say, well, there's 150 people who have bought our product. Let's make, let's advertise to people who look like them. So that's called a lookalike audience on Facebook, just a real quick nerd piece. And what it does is it'll take those 150 people who have bought the product. We'll find another 150 people or even bigger people who look like that same age, same gender, same interests. And then we can market to them. Um, so yeah, that's I, can, I could go on for hours. It d- well. Yeah, it does get pretty scary. Hey, we weren't even planning to talk <laughs> about this, but um, my boss sent me a link a, a little while ago that um, 
that Facebook are now releasing this feature where you can market to a whole household. Your eyes are lighting up, so I yeah. imagine you, you read the same article, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, so the basically what it is for, for everybody at home, um, if I've got this right, is that if um, Elliot has been on my website and I am marketing travel products, and then I know that travel is typically a family-based decision, so Elliot's going to go and consult with his partner and his kids or whatever. You're not old enough to have kids, obviously. Not yet. Um, uh, well, I don't know. People do have kids pretty young these <laughs> yeah, days. Don't test me. <laughs> um but so I can then market to Elliot's partner and perhaps to his kids as well and try and get them to all go to the same thing. Yes. Yeah, as a team marketing effort, it's, it's incredible. The, the amount of Facebook kind of ads coming, like ad tools coming out. Um, Messenger was another tool that was opened up recently. Um, it's open with Shopify and um, sorry, Shopify and Facebook. This one's really creepy. If you if you're looking at a particular product on a store. You don't even have to opt in. You don't have to opt in. It's just through the pixel. You can then get sent a Facebook message, just like an abandoned car email, um, two hours later, 12 hours later, whenever you want it. And it's just a, it's a message from the page just saying, hi there, are you still interested in you know XYZ items? Um, that's super creepy, but it's converting really well. Really? Yeah. So you're using this at the moment? We're using it um, with Costume World at the moment as a little trial. We said we'd run it for a month. It's really people, it's really easy for people to opt out as soon as they get the message as well. There's a clear button that just yeah, says stop be. messaging me. But it's a great conversation starter because we send we send the message and say, Look, are you still interested in this? Is there anything we can do to help? And especially in costumes, our biggest barriers are delivery times and size guides. So then a lot of the time we get people come back, Hey, I've got a party this Saturday, if I order it now, is it gonna turn up on time? So it's a great way for us to kind of initiate that conversation. Do you think that's going to expand pretty quickly to, um, you know, I imagine you've automated all of these messages, right? Yeah. So, so then it could almost be, um, hey, um, do, we need, do we need to help you? Yes. Is this going to get to me in time? Yes. And then they can be like, cool, um, you know, Siri buy or something, enter, and then it automatically charges their credit card that's held against their Facebook account, and then you send it straight away. Yeah, well, like with our particular online platform, Facebook, and you can buy through Facebook on our store. You don't even have to go to our website. You can do it through Messenger. Um, and with the advancement of the chatbots as well, we're currently writing some at the moment. So when people ask basic questions like, when will this arrive if I order now? Or, you know, what size is this going to fit? We're kind of making chatbots that can then kind of come back and say, look, someone will be with you shortly. But in the meantime, here's our article on, you know, size guides. Here's our article on delivery times. Cool, that's, that certainly makes sense. I was just going to get back to how we were talking about that it's a little bit creepy because we were we were at the tennis club talking about um, about the, the Facebook advertising to households in particular and we're like, oh, is it a bit unethical if we're going to try and like market, I don't know, say like Bermuda or Kenya or some kind of travel destination to a kid who's then going to go and chew off his mum's ear or something. I mean, what are your thoughts about that? I think it's just... The world's so consumer-driven now, and we just—I—I th- I don't know if it's particularly unethical, and I think it's just the world we're starting to live in now. We've always been advertised to a lot, and advertisers are just well getting smarter and smarter. You know, we used to just chuck up billboards that would show to everyone, and we've just learned how to target that a lot tighter. 
and spend our money wiser. And I guess it, it also comes to the relevance side as well. That um, you know, even even on this podcast, I get people talking to me all the time saying, "Oh, would you advertise this? Would you advertise that?" Quite often, the the answer I say is, is no, um, not because I'm against advertising, but because um, we need to find things that are relevant that, that people that you know. So that if you're listening to this, you're not going to say, "Why is he? Why is he advertising?" I don't know. The first thing that comes to my mind is disposable diapers or something like that. I don't need those. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, you don't have gas. We already talked about that. Thank you. But, um, you know, and it's, I guess it's the same with Facebook, that you're only seeing relevant stuff. And sometimes it surprises me that I see stuff, I'm like, actually, that's really cool. I want that. It's, it's handy. And to be honest, I've, I've got a massive, massive problem with remarketing. It's, just, it's a way to bookmark products for me. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, you can see it from the, the business side as well. I mean, it makes sense economically. Yeah. But in terms of how you get into costume world, because I remember when first meeting you, I was like, wait, so this is, you know, young guys, typically we get into, um, if I can say the slightly sexier industries. Yeah, for um, sure. you know, You know, tech or, you know, this or that. Um, and it, it kind of struck me, oh, well, yes, there's money to be made in costumes as well. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely not a sexy industry, like... It's not that I'm not proud of saying it to people, but I talk to a lot of people in, you know, the New Zealand kind of industry and they've got some cool startup that they just got heaps of funding for. And I'm just, at the end of the day, I'm just a retailer, you know, I, I sell a product, um, but we use some amazing technology to do it and we try and do it really smartly. So costumes kind of came about as, um, it originally was started by a family in Auckland, kind of brief story. And they were genuinely really into costumes. They loved it. And they had a son who was a web developer. So they they started using the spare room and then it took over the spare room and it took over the garage and it took over the whole house. And it got to a point where they either needed to get a warehouse and really expand or or hand it on. Um, so they, they were listed up for sale. It was April of last year. So we've been in about a year and a half now. And I just spotted these kind of, you know, it was kids costumes got coded in Z and Halloween costumes got coded in Z. I just spotted this great little opportunity and there's there's some huge costume retailers around the world. You don't really think about costumes as an industry, but kids have a lot of book days, birthday parties come out, movies come out and we get all the licenses for that. Obviously, Halloween is huge for us. Um, and I guess there's a lot of people as well looking for some higher end stuff, the cosplay end of things. Um, believe it, there's people who spend $2,000 on Batman suits it happens at least you know once every fortnight someone will buy one of our collector's edition range um every time someone buys one i kind of i scream of it because our collector's edition range starts at about 900 and ranges up to about two and a half grand that's a lot of money for one person to spend on costumes yeah it's it's an amazing amount of, but you look amazing our descriptions say you're not i think it says something along the lines of you don't want to dress up as batman you want to become batman um and these suits light up they're incredible that's kind of cool yeah. as well. Being on one one, just there you go. Yeah, you've got to spare <laughs> my plug. <laughs> oh, you, you certainly can. But what I, I love it, I guess, you know, tell me if this is what you're saying. But there's money be, to be made in any industry, and if you can specifically find an industry that's a little bit more old school that isn't using some of these smart marketing tactics that you're using, then actually it's almost easy pickings. Yeah, exactly. Like obviously. With costume, sorry, I got a little distracted talking about Batman before, but, you know, I noticed with no disrespect to the previous owners, the marketing probably wasn't as, as tight as it could have been. There was a lot of improvements that could have been made on the website, but it was cool. They had a great starting block. They genuinely loved costumes um, and they'd found some great supplies. They've got great licenses. And I just said, look, if we improve the online side of this a bit more, it can be done really well. And that's something I'm super passionate about is working with people who have 
amazing businesses. Um, so we work with a, like a coffee roaster in Hamilton. Um, they make some amazing coffee and we look after all the e-commerce for them because, look, they're great at roasting coffee, we're great at e-commerce. Um, so we manage the whole e-commerce side for them. We help them with their fulfillment and everything. So you, you both uh, here are the retailer in some cases and then the consultant or the agency as well that will go in and help uh, existing businesses become smarter with their online retail. Yeah, exactly. When we definitely, um, we're not a website building company in any, we don't, we never, that's never what we've set up to become. Um, and, you know, we will always either send people in the right way or, you know, get get a great solution going for them. But yeah, we'll consult with them on, you know, marketing tactics. And we're always kind of looking out for, yeah, smarter ways to sell stuff online. But then there's the logistical side of it as well. Um, when you start doing big volumes online, there's actually a lot of software and techniques and stuff that come into play in terms of, you know, I think at our peak, um, our busiest day on record, I think we would have, you know, pushed well over 1,500 items out in a day. Wow. Um, And that takes a lot of software to make it. You know, we run on a really small team. um, So making, making warehouses as smart as possible as well. Yeah, of course, because that, that makes sense. But hey, if you are looking for e-commerce, I hear these guys at Hatch are pretty good. I hear that. <laughs> I hear they do some great work. Oh, there's um, my there's my little plug yeah. as well. Um, but did you did you buy costume costume uh, kids costumes dot Halloween costumes dot off this family? Yeah, so we bought the company off the family, um, and we stayed in contact with them quite a while in terms of advice on what costumes to buy and what what's going to be cool <coughs> coming up. And then the whole kind of business model was to forever be expanding our range of costumes. Um, a funny little example is, have you ever heard of the show Dr. McStuffins? No. Yeah, no one has. Um, but it's, it's a little kid's show that's, you know, it's not that well known, but we stock Dr. McStuffins costumes. And we don't sell them very often, but when a parent finds out that we stock the Dr. McStuffins range, they're ecstatic because their kid loves Dr. McStuffins. So that was always our model, was to have the biggest range humanly possible. Um so we got to a stage at the end of 2016 where we had Halloween costumes and kids costumes. I think we stocked about, we in our Hamilton warehouse, we had about 1,800 different costumes. It got a little bit out of hand. And then our main supplier based in Melbourne, um, yeah, we had 1,800 out of the 7,000 available costumes. Um, we went and kind of negotiated with them and said, look, you've got a huge range sitting here. Logistics between New Zealand and Australia are pretty quick now why don't we stock your whole range and then you ship it to our customers as it sells um, and that'll enable us to become the biggest costume retailer in New Zealand because you know there's a few there's a few of them online um, I th- but you know none with the range like we have and then it also made sense to merge the two brands together kids costumes and Halloween costumes and just become costume world we are with our costume retailer. And did you negotiate to have exclusivity over the New Zealand market with this, uh, this supply? So we've got we've got exclusivity in the way that we're the only ones they'll, um, you know, kind of do this fulfillment model with. So the few other retailers who can purchase stock and hold it here in New Zealand, um, but we're the only one that, I guess we're drop shipping really. Um, we're the only one where they will, they'll fulfill all of our orders for us. Uh, but that was kind of relationship based. I spent a lot of time in Melbourne and making friends over there with the with the suppliers and i said look we want to become the biggest retailer do we want to do it together i love that there are there are just two great pieces of advice which are so contrary to uh what most 
business leaders will t- will tell you. You know, most people will tell you to you know find an industry you love first of all. Or uh, uh, my partner was at the uh, festival for the future the other day, and she she was telling me all about how it was find your glow or whatever. And then uh, and the other one is you know just go out and start your own business. But you haven't done either of those. Well, you, I mean, you you have started your own business, but what you've kind of done is first of all gone out and bought. Uh, a small business that had massive potential and had already validated that there was a need for you and then you jumped into an industry that you didn't I imagine you didn't have a massive passion for kids costumes I know very little about I know a lot now I knew very little about costumes Uh, to this day I've still never seen a Star Wars film I've watched one Harry Potter movie in my life I'd which is, I had to pull on advice for the previous owners who were genuine lovers of costumes. And I think for them, they started as a business for passion, but I saw it as a business that could, you know, become a much bigger thing. So mm. would you say to, you know, um, this is a great example. I'm going to, I'm going to, as soon as I get out of here, I'm going to um, send this to my partner because she's about to finish university. And we were literally um, uh, looking over job ads last night and she's like, I don't know whether I start a business or whether I go out and um, find a job and and it's kind of like you're kind of saying you could potentially say to her neither find a business that's that's kind of successful right now but is not owned by people who have the ambition to to massively grow it buy that business especially if it's an industry that isn't particularly competitive or the people within the industry aren't particularly sophisticated with their marketing and just go hunting for it yeah for sure and like it's a pretty big bold statement to say go buy a business um it's definitely you know, it, it took a lot of work and risk to do that as well. Um, and I, de- I agree, you don't have to go out and just get a job. Like, as I said, this whole e-commerce side of the world for me started as a hobby. Um, and if it's e-commerce that you're passionate about, like I was just genuinely passionate. I love the idea of e-commerce. And I thought this is so cool. And then I fell in love with it more after, you know, I was making more money selling stuff on Trade Me than I was having a part-time job. Um, and that just became so much better for me. Yeah. And it kind of grew and grew. But yeah, you don't have to be restricted to either. And the term go start a business is also pretty intense. Like just find a business and, and do it. Like it can grow pretty organically. Um, find something. Yeah, I still do believe something you're genuinely passionate about. I'm genuinely passionate about marketing and e-commerce. And I've just found costumes as, uh, costumes and games as my kind of, I guess, vessel to, to take my passion somewhere. Ballpark. How much does it cost to buy, you know, costume, cost, kidscostumes.co.nz? Um, so, yeah, roughly we paid around $50,000 to purchase. You know, we purchased... I had to justify to my accountant what an online business is actually worth. Um, you know, we had, we had great... The domain was worth a lot as well, you know. We had a great domain, kidscostumes.co.nz, halloweencostumes.co.nz. Um, but then the other thing which I knew absolutely nothing about was stock. I've never worked in a retail job. Oh, that's a lie. I worked for Cotton On for two months. I got fired. Um, Why'd you get fired out of interest? Um, I just didn't like the manager. I just didn't like the manager. And If you got fired, the manager didn't like you either. Yeah, sure. We did not see eye to eye. Had a little argument with her one day on the shop floor. I went, yeah, and I don't know. I just... I guess I've always had an entrepreneurial tendency in me and I saw the way the business was being run and I was like, this isn't right. Someone and no one there was brave enough. Yeah, didn't work. But coming into back into costume world, you know, I bought on well over $150,000 worth of stock in costumes and I knew nothing about stock. I didn't know how to stock take. I didn't know how to store things. I knew nothing. And that's probably one of my biggest mistakes was not bringing on someone to help me with that. Um, 
our warehouse was always a mess. I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't good at it to start with. I'm, I've definitely learned a lot of things now. Um, so that was probably. There's a cool saying, and it's you know, if you can, you were in a world now where we can start a business with almost no staff and no stock and still have a retail business, and that was just by negotiating with our supplier that you know. How about you drop ship for us? Okay, uh, so if I if I'm a young entrepreneur, or I you know I'm coming to the end of my university degree, I'm like, okay, sweet. What am what am I going to do? I can either go and start a business or try and try this entrepreneur thing, or go get a job. Would 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 you kind of suggest that? Okay, yep, go out buy honey, you know, honey.co.nz or whatever it is. If this is a business up for sale, and they're a, a honey retailer to China or whatever, yeah. you're kind of saying, great opportunity, but pull in somebody who's also got experience in the honey industry because there's stuff that you will just have no idea about. Most definitely. Um, And that's why I kept the previous owners of the business around as much as I could because they knew about costumes. They knew what movie was coming out. They knew what the new Elsa dress was going to be. And also I I got my suppliers to help a lot as well. Obviously these guys, they knew everything about costumes. So I'd make the trips to Melbourne and hang out with them and just... I I know far too much about kids' movies now. (laughs) Um... So, yeah, whatever industry it is and whatever you're not strong in as well. I was saying I wasn't strong in industry and, uh, sorry, in logistics. Um, and it took me about eight months to work out that I was really bad. So I had to bring on someone. And especially being young in business, I think a lot of older people are really willing to help um, more than you'd think. You'd think you'd have to pay them big fees. And, you know, I managed to, st- I met a guy in a cafe one day completely randomly and he happened to be a logistics manager for one of New Zealand's biggest online retailers and he just left. And I said, look, man, can I pick your brain for half an hour? And how, now he's um, on our board. He's one of my biggest mentors. And he, he doesn't ask for anything. He just he just thinks it's amazing that I was, when I met him, I was 20 at the time. And I had a warehouse. He thought that was cool. That is, actually, that is pretty cool. Yeah. But can I ask you, so I, I'd imagine that a lot of people listening at this point are probably thinking, that's great. Elliot would have bought this business for roughly 50K, whatever it was, um, then had to find 100K for for inventory and things like that perhaps you didn't need it if you went and drop ships straight away um, but 50k like where did, where did that come from did, did you borrow it from a bank or was it was it given to you did you ever it was a it was a bit of a mix um, a bit of my personal story unfortunately I lost my mum when I was 16 and um, I, <laughs> I know not everyone has the privilege of having what I call the dead mum fund which is a horrible thing to call it but I had a little inheritance there which I which I used and I used some bank money and I had an investor as well um, who's still involved and she she was in business for many years. She's pushing 70 now. Um, and she was, she was a family friend who knew what I was up to and genuinely believed in me and helped me out with the money. And it's hard to say, you know, just go find what we ended, ended up spending almost 200K. But that's the costume side of stuff. Games, on the other hand, I started that with less than 500 bucks. I found a game and games still does almost as much turnover as costumes um and that was just that was just through trade me it was doing almost you know just as much and yeah i spent less than 500 dollars. i bought 10 10 packets of a game and i put them on trade me it you know it cost me for the 10 packs i wanted one anyway um and you know if you have to save up for a while for that 500 bucks and just put it on trade me if you see it's a good product then and there's so many other tools out there i could go through for hours and finding good products um you know we're lucky here in New Zealand that we don't have Amazon at the moment. That's great. And keep an eye on what's selling. I every day look through the top 100 products on Amazon. Um, we sold almost 17,000 fidget spinners a few months ago um, because we were the first ones on fidget spinners. Game Kings did that. 
and that was because I saw them on Amazon. They took over the top 100 lists almost overnight, and I saw that no one in New Zealand was doing them yet. So I said, "Hey, China, get me some fidget spinners." Um, that that was hectic. That was insane. We've never sold that much of a single product before. That is a phenomenal amount of of, of fidget spinners, of course. Because th- what were they retailing for? I think we were selling them. I think when we started, we were doing like fifteen dollars a pop. And there's an interesting little story of fidget spinners that a lot of people think amazing. You sold seventeen thousand. Oh my god, you must be a millionaire. Nope. Um, we we screwed that one up big time. We um. One really big lesson in e-commerce is I've learned the hard way many times. Don't sell stuff until you have it in your warehouse. Um, we thought fidget spinners were going to be good. We're used to getting stuff out of China in two or three days, getting it landed in New Zealand within you know a week. So fidget spinners were so hot. We sold them online and we released them. We didn't have them in our possession, though. They were on the way from China. And there was huge holdups getting them through customs and just getting them here. And we ended up promising customers, look, if you don't get them by a certain date, we'll refund you. And we ended up having to refund thousands of customers because we couldn't get them here on time. We jumped the gun a little bit. Um, and then we weren't set up as well. It's about knowing your capacity. I was saying before, processing thousands of orders isn't easy. We weren't set up to do that many. We're used to, you know, processing a couple hundred packages a week where, you know, yeah, one day we had to send out, we had to label up 1,200 bags and we crashed our computers trying to do it. So then we had to pull in, you know, we, there's an amazing system called Starshipper. It's a little plug for them. Um, and had to learn new software and stuff in a few days. And we had to bring on extra staff. And this, this, is, a, this is 100% a true story. Um, we had a wholesale order for a 1,000 fidget spinners from a retailer who wanted them through us who couldn't be, bought, but couldn't be, what, couldn't be bothered going to China to get them. And uh, I said, screw it. I'm going to go to Melbourne and pick them up because I knew a guy over there who had a few of them and I was like 10 p.m. and I was in the office one night and I said to I called my girlfriend as I look I look I'm not coming home well I will but I'm not staying I'm going to Melbourne at four in the morning she said what the hell are you doing and I said I'm picking up 2,000 fidget spinners and I'm flying them home and I flew to Melbourne and I was back within 24 hours I flew there picked up 2,000 fidget spinners put them in my luggage and I flew home um, they, fa- they they were all they I, fitted your luggage. I, I had to check in like a box as a second as a second bag and as a box of fidget spinners. Um, but unfortunately, you know, we ended up losing money on that whole thing because I was a little bit too keen. Comp- we weren't ready to process that many orders. We shouldn't have accepted that order for that many. We had to refund so many customers. We didn't account for the cost of um, flying to Melbourne and back to pick them up. And also, the other issue is. By the time our ones landed in New Zealand, so did the $2 shops ones, so did the warehouses ones, so did all the dairies ones. And why is someone going to come and pay $15 online when they can walk to the $2 shop downstairs and get one for 5 bucks and not have to wait, you know, two or three days to get it? Um, so Fidget Spinners was an utter disaster. Um, but a great success at the same time. I mean, it's, it's a great story in terms of, you know, okay, 170, uh, sorry, what is that? 17,000 17, individual spinners, yeah. I mean, that mm. is the equivalent of just over a quarter of a million dollars in fidget spinners. Yeah, we, we sold we sold so many. Um, but, you know, we didn't think about the fact that everyone else in the world wanted them at the time as well. So there was extra delays trying to get them out of China at the time, where, you know, every factory in China was working on fidget spinners at the time. They were the, the craze of the moment. But I think it would have been great to potentially have an outside counselor who maybe said hey Elliot just stop and think you know do we are we ready to sell 17,000 items in a few weeks we we really weren't I'd, um, I'd imagine that that people with your and I um t- 
and my temperament are probably the type who would be like, yeah, we'll just do it. We'll just yep. sell Yeah, I think we can sell 17,000. Let's just we'll, try and sell we'll it. We'll just make it work. And it was a customer service disaster as well. We've got one person that looks after our customer service. So the thing with fidget spinners is we promised all our customers they'd get them in a week. And then unfortunately, we had to go back and say, look, it's going to be a little bit longer. There's been a hold up with customs. But this time, people have got kids nagging at them saying, where is my fidget spinner? And I'm going, oh, I promise I'll get them. And that's part of the reason I flew to Melbourne as well, was just to fulfill the first few orders we had there. And then all of a sudden, our Facebook page is just getting swamped with hate. You know, where's my fidgets? Um, I love every mum out there, but you're the worst customers in the world sometimes because you love to argue with me and you love to be right. <laughs> um, and we had so many mums just absolutely slamming us on Facebook because their kids' fidget spinners hadn't turned up in time. And to be um, fair, they probably were right at that, at, at that instance. They were, com- they were completely valid complaints. Yeah. Like, we had to just go back with our legs between our tails. So I'm looking really sorry. We offered a lot of refunds. Um, and then, yeah, we just, we just made people wait too long. And we've run, we run into that most Christmases. We've run into the last couple of Christmases as well where, our game sales go from, you know, a particular game, we might do 20 of a day. Uh, we, we might do 800 of that in another day It'd come up, coming up to Christmas. So this year, it's our goal to make sure that we've got the stock there. We've got the logistics there to do it. Um, and and I ke- suppose that's a great lesson as well for drop shipping because uh, just for anybody who, I don't think we've explained drop shipping, but that's where you sell something, but you don't actually have it physically in stock it's over at in your case the warehouse in melbourne and so you get the order you pass it over to the guy in melbourne and they send it to the customer is yeah. that about yeah. right yeah that's exactly how it works but unfortunately drop shipping's had this really bad name around the world um with alix with aliexpress and the likes of that because people are it's not so prevalent in new zealand but especially in america there's a lot of drop shipping businesses out there where customers are waiting 21 at least 21 days three weeks to get something um, New Zealanders will not wait that long. Drop, drop shipping, it's really struggles here. Um, but also, you know, you're not overseeing the quality and stuff. So I don't really like to go around saying we're a drop shipping business because it's got quite a bad rep. Um, but, you know, I'm in Melbourne once a month looking at the quality of the costumes that we're selling. A lot of them come through office. I know that there's amazing logistics between New Zealand and Australia. So if you order something from me on, you know, a Monday morning, I can have it on your doorstep on a Tuesday morning from Melbourne. Yeah. Um, careers are great. And is it, a, is, is it a profitable business? Is it paying your bills? Yeah, for sure. Like we're, um, there's a lot of, I guess, money that goes back into our marketing and our branding at the moment. But, you know, for f- I haven't had a job for four years. I've got staff now. We've got an office. We've, you know, we're, we're growing. Um, that's cool. We're always looking for new things to do. It, it, like, it's a profitable business. I say with the online side of things, just watch what you spend on advertising. Yeah. That's probably, that's where we've been caught out the most, to be honest, is um, a quick little little lesson. And, you know, whether it be Facebook ads, Bing ads, Google AdWords, whatever you're doing, um, we can get really caught up in, especially same with fidget spinners. It was such a competitive market. We ended up spending so much on advertising, but it's so easy to track, you know, how many dollars and cents you're spending to acquire that sale and sometimes it's not worth having the sale we had an um, adwords agency which we trialed with for a while and for costumes you know we they didn't really understand our margins and we ended up spending like up to 18 dollars a day some days to acquire costume sales and i had to go back at the end and say look it's not worth having those sales like you know after we spent the 18 dollars on the shipping and the margin like i'd rather have not acquired that sale um, so that's kind of yeah, our one pain point is just making sure we rein in our ad spend. 
Yeah, and that de- that definitely makes sense. Ex- um, excuse me for asking some of these like hard questions about how much did you how much did you acquire the business for? But I, I imagine that these are the things that you know I'm trying to figure out. Is this you know almost too good to be true? Some of these things, um, all the questions that I know that people at home are going to be asking about how could how could I replicate that? What are the learnings? Yeah, for sure. I think the the first kind of key product with any, with online stuff is it's finding a good product having something that people genuinely want. Um, we tried to start selling mattress protectors online for a while. Um, that was dumb. Um, we, yeah, we, we started this little brand selling mattress protectors online, but we quickly worked out that people just buy their mattress protectors from Harvey Norman when they buy their new beds. Um, people didn't want mattress protectors, even though we were the best marketers in the world. Can um, I ask you, what made you think, and I don't mean... I. I this is going to sound rude, but what made you think it was a good idea? Um, this, that was another... I s- that, that was a business for sale on Trade Me, and it's called healthshield.co.nz. It still exists today. We still have mattress protector stock, and you can still buy mattress protectors from us. Um, I was pretty emotionally invested in the idea because it was the first online brand that I saw. Um, also, I suffer from really bad hay fever, and there's some really good scientific proof behind using a really good mattress protector. And your body's, I won't go into it all, but your body's really gross when you sleep, and you get dust mites in your bed, and... I think if the public were a little bit more educated around why you should have a good mattress protector on your bed, it would have would have taken off. But no one's out there thinking, I should get a mattress protector. So the whole brand, if we really had a pursuit, it would have been based off the fact we'd have to educate people, we'd have to tell them how bad their bodies are, we'd have to tell them how gross their beds are, and then we could kind of scare them into buying something. Um, so it's a real health-based message again. Did you did you try to do something on the content side, like putting out that kind of educational content? Yeah, like I guess the website, when you first landed on it, it didn't actually try and send you straight to a product. It actually gave you a little bit of an article, and we started making a video as well about what actually happens when you sleep. Your body excretes, what a horrible word, excretes 500 mils of liquid a night, um, and that gets into your bed, and then your your skin cells get in there as well. And then the dust mites live off the water and the skin and then then they poo in your bed. And that's the poo that gives you the hay fever. Um, And I started using a mattress protector and my hay fever went away almost overnight. And I was like, well, so I genuinely believe. (laughs) I genuinely believe. Better living, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) When I was was driving up here today and I really didn't plan on talking about that. Um, I love um, that this yeah this has gone uh, in, in multiple directions that I didn't anticipate we'd go into, but it's it's fascinating nonetheless. So wait, were you ju- just before we move off from this mattress protector thing? Do, did you have a mattress protector before you before you got this new one? Um, I bought one off the site that was for sale. So the guy who was selling it was another case of a guy who had a really good idea for an online store and not the greatest of execution. The website was horrible; it didn't work very well. But he owned a cleaning company, so he would tell people when he was out cleaning about their beds. And he used to clean mattresses for people. And he'd be like, hey, a really good, a really good way to keep your bed clean is use a good mattress protector. So he started selling mattress protectors online. Um, and, you know, we, I was like 18 when I, when I got this off him. I think we paid him like 1800 bucks for his website. He had a database of maybe like 50 existing customers, and he had the supplier's contact. And um, I duped my grandma, or sorry, my godmother, into giving me two grand <laughs> and said, I'm going to start a mattress protector company. Um, to this day, we've sold less than 20 because um, <laughs> it wasn't a product that people really wanted unless, you know, it'd be something we would have to go fully into. It would have to go to trade, not trade, we'd have to, 
it's something you sell to people in person. You've got to tell them about how disgusting their bodies are. Okay. But again, it's another fascinating story of don't necessarily go out and, um, and, and try to start it because it's almost like you would have never thought of these businesses um, if, if, you, if you'd just gone and tried to start it yourself. Exactly. Like for me, you know, the games, it was something that I wanted and I couldn't get. And I thought maybe someone else there is in the same position. Um, the mattress protector was something that I genuinely believed in. That was pretty dumb. Um, but I learned a lot and I got to make a cool website. And then costumes, it was over the, you know, three or four years, I'd be- become an expert in e-commerce and I just saw an opportunity waiting to be taken. Um, and, you know, the e-commerce side of it was great where we've struggled. It's the retail, the retail side of it retailing having sales having specials stuff like that but you know we're getting better yeah but i i love again that you've just um almost given another piece of advice which is totally contrary to what most people tell you most people say um solve a problem solve your solve your own problem solve a problem you have now you've done that on the game side but then you've almost tried to figure out well what are other people's problems and i can figure that out because they'll go and start a business for it and then i'll just go buy it and oh boom there are all these mums who have this problem and have the cash to be able to spend on kids costumes you know people our age 20 22 24 they might not have a lot of cash for xyz yeah but you can figure out well is there a problem there um because somebody's got went and they've tried to go and solve their their own problem so you yeah. just buy that business and grow it because they might not have the expertise that you have yeah exactly like you know we're so it sounds silly to say we're solving problems with costumes but you know kids have book days all the time so we're, we're actually starting an initiative with costume world um we were partnering with the schools when they've got their book days dress up days whatever they are and saying hey school um, you promote us out to your parents. You tell us. You tell your parents. You know, get your costumes from Costume World. We'll give the parents a ten percent off discount, um, and, and we'll deliver it d- directly to the school, which makes it easy. And then, hey, school, we'll give you a fifteen percent um, donation um, of the proceeds of the sales you bring in. So that's a you know twenty five percent cut for us. But you know, we do twenty five percent off sales all the time anyway. Um, it incentivizes the school because they can make some money out of it. It solves a problem for the parents because the kids got a book day coming up and they don't know how to organize it. We've just made that super easy. And sure, there's a lot of parents who will still make their own costumes, but we just make it easy and we've got, you know, a cool range. Moan is the biggest thing right now. Is that right? Yeah. Well, the benefit to the for you guys in terms of that schools program you've just t- described is that typically if you've got a 25% off sale, you've still got a, A, first of all, there goes your 25% margin. Yeah. But then you've also got to go and market that and advertise that in this case almost that that kind of discount those discounts you're giving are paying for themselves because you'd spend that on advertising yeah exactly we're not paying anything to acquire the customer you know we give the school some marketing document we give them a few posters and some digital files to put in their newsletters and email newsletters and the schools you know they're always looking for better ways to fundraise as well um there's been a lot of bad press about schools fundraising with you know chocolate bars and stuff like that well here's a way to fundraise with the parents are already going to be spending our money on costumes anyway and um you know, I'd say school book days make up about 40% of our kids' market during the year. Um, That's an book, enormous amount. I did not expect it was going to be that book big. Book days, character... Well, every, every school has one once a year. Um, a school book day or a character day, even school discos and stuff like that, school productions. Um, so schools are, <laughs> schools are huge for us, and that's kind of... We started to think of other ways we could market other than just, you know, on AdWords and stuff. We started to think, well, where is our, where are our sales stuff for school things? Mm. How do we get them with the schools? we we had to incentivize them with money. Yeah, but that makes sense. So there's a, there's an established 
you know, there are a lot of businesses that do that. We've got clients at work that do exactly the same, um, trying to use schools as a, as a channel, essentially. Yeah. And um, I don't know, I sometimes wonder about whether the school is truly incentivized and how, how do you incentivize the school to actually go out and push that product. But it seems to be working for you guys. Yeah, for sure. It's still a really new initiative for us. We ran it as a pilot at Kids Costumes with a couple of schools. Um, I actually went back to my old primary school and reminded them who I was. Um, and they they took on and kind of ran it as a trial. Costume World still in its infancy. We only relaunched the site back in you know July. Um, we closed down pretty much earlier in the year, and we spent almost six months completely rebuilding from the ground up. Be it the new website, our marketing plans, the logistics between Australia and New Zealand, genuinely listing seven and a half thousand products on a website and writing descriptions and making sure it all looked nice. <laughs> Do you do that by hand listing all the 7500 uh, costumes? No, it was just, it was a massive kind of integration between our warehouse in Australia yeah. and our site. So that when something, obviously we're not the only ones that pull from this warehouse. So when someone else buys something from that warehouse as well, making sure that all the systems sync up. Uh, cool. Yeah, that, that's an important part. Look, we were going to use the wheel of fortune that I always pull out which and go through, um, you know, and come up with different ideas from different industries. But I almost think that that's almost um, – we're not going to do that anymore because the, the real um, – what that's all about is – us coming up with ideas and really the crux of what we've taken away is necessarily you don't need your own idea you can go out and buy it so rather than than doing that the homework for everybody at home is almost to jump on trade me now and see what businesses you can purchase there's a lot of businesses to purchase and it's not it's not definitely it's not the only way forward as well but even look at a business that you might be you know if you're skilled at e-commerce you're skilled at marketing you're skilled at branding go and try and find a business which isn't doing it amazingly and try and work with them you know we found the coffee business which had an amazing product, but people were, you know, phoning in their orders. And we just said, hey, how about we help you with your e-commerce? So we didn't charge them for the website. We just said, look, we'll make, we made a bit of a deal on, you know, whatever you sell online, we take commission on. Mm. And it seems to be working for you guys. And is that, what, what's that running under? Is that the Beamer brand? Yeah, so I guess our structure is we've got Beamer, um, which is um, our kind of like the company that everything's under. And then we've got Beamer Digital under that, which is our consultancy. Um, so our little tagline is just, we sell stuff online. And we don't build websites for people. Hatch does that. Um, Appreciate that. That's all right. Um, we, we help you sell more stuff online. And there's we don't have particular products. We've always got a unique solution as to how we do that. Cool. And look, the last thing I wanted to, um, to ask you, which was uh, what we're just... Uh, figured out when you'd walked to the room, which is you're a member of Rotary. Tell us about that. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been a member of Rotary in Hamilton for kind of three or four months now. It's a pretty new thing. Um, I think it's great. Um, Rotary's always been seen as a bit of an old boys club, um, but Rotary is genuinely doing good in the world. Um, the tagline, this they get a new tagline sort of thing every year from the international president, and I believe this year's one is making a difference. And there's people in the room with with resource, be it money, time, connections, and we're trying to do good things in the community. Um, a genuine byproduct of that, though, is by putting a lot of business people in one room, networking occurs kind of organically. It's it was never it's never been set up or intended, I believe, as a networking event, but we all use it as that as well as getting to do good thing in the community. Another great thing about Rotary is it happens all around the world. 
Um, so I've just got back from the UK last week and while I was over there I was in Brighton in the UK I had a couple of days spare and I found a rotary club and most rotary clubs meet once a week so I just turned up to their club and I just said hey I'm here for your lunch meeting and you know I met some really cool people um, and in New Zealand they're really trying to get younger people I think 5% of the membership is under 40 um, and they're really trying to really trying to bump that out in our Hamilton club you know, we've got a few young people coming through now, uh, but I'd hate to see it die out. It does such good in the community. And we're all, you know, a lot of the group has switched on business people as well. So we're always coming up with ideas of how we can use money to help people in the community for good. Awesome. And why would, why would a young person like ourselves get involved with Rotary? I think just genuine. The, the idea is a way for us to give back to the community. Uh, but it's also a great way to way to meet people. You know, my particular Rotary group, there's some amazing um, older men who have, and women who have been in business for years and years and years and don't discredit the advice they have to say, although they know nothing about the internet and they don't really know what I do. <laughs> I just tell them I do internet things. Um, there's still some, you know, core fundamentals of business and even just living a good life which can come from, you know, some older advice. Fantastic. Elliot Jessup, thank you for your time. That's fine. Thank you so much. So I've just finished up with Elliot Jessup from Costume World. It was an incredibly interesting episode, um, mainly because Elliot, as, as you've just heard, you know, took us away from a lot of the standard business advice that we hear, you know, follow your glow, try and um, follow your passion. And he, what he really said was, you don't need to necessarily do that. You know, you can buy a business, even if it's not in a sexy industry that you care about, but you can buy it so that the you know the idea already works. You can go into an industry that's a little bit outdated where people aren't using the modern day marketing, you know, digital marketing that we're all accustomed to. And you can use the knowledge that we have in our heads or that you have in your heads um, to try and market these products. Um, you don't you don't need to go into the latest and greatest industry to start a business and make money. And I just feel like that is so contrary to what we typically hear uh, in business advice. And I think, uh, you know, if you're a young university graduate, you know, maybe this is something to consider if you're not wanting to go and work a standard job. Um, and I love the other one that kind of was implicit in what he said. You know, you don't need to solve your own problem. You can find out what other people's problems are and solve them, especially if you're going down this uh, route of purchasing an existing business. So I just thought it was absolutely fantastic. Um, I hope you guys really enjoyed it. Give me a, drop me a line to, uh, to share your thoughts, ed at edmcknight.com. Check us out as well at nzyoungprofessionalspodcast.com and we are on Facebook, that's NZ Young Professionals Podcast. Until next time. The New Zealand Young Professionals Podcast, hosted by Ed McKnight and brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand.